0: your Bibles this morning to James, the fifth chapter, and the third verse, James chapter five and verse three, and we're going to resume our study of specific passages dealing with the last days. And um, as you might remember, these, these passages are are specifically pointed out for the last days, but it doesn't mean they're not applicable at other times in history. These passages, all Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable. So the fact that it is all inspired, it is valuable for any time frame in which you find yourself. But if you find yourself in the last days, there's a renewed sense of, hopefully, urgency, uh, intensity, uh, diligence, that we want to be sure that we have have, uh, gotten... Uh, in, in our own lives. Uh, these things are pointing out uh, stuff that very clearly is going on right now, but it could be applicable to any generation of the church age, any culture, any time frame. This is God's Word, and it is relevant wherever, wherever it is read, wherever it is, is uh, practiced, wherever it is believed. It's just as relevant. So today we are in the fifth chapter of the little epistle of James. The right straw epistle as it was called because it presents a few issues that the theologians have fun with throughout the course of time. But in the fifth chapter of James it is going to address specifically the fraudulent rich of the last days. And uh, it's going to include some exhortations, some ways to identify them and, and what they do. So before we begin it's always important that we just... Take a minute for prayer. uh, Take a minute to get ourselves ready to study the Word of God and uh, ask that we be able to understand this so we can use it in the culture in which we find ourselves and identifying what's right and what's wrong. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so blessed to be able to come together and open up your word. And Father, we know people and our brothers and sisters throughout the world, it's not quite as easy as it is here. And yet, Father, so many people have just decided that uh, they won't have anything to do with the church anymore, and the devil is making inroads into, into people's thought processes, even in this nation that was once considered a Christian nation. So, Father, I pray that we'd be able to remember, first of all, understand, and then remember this portion of Your Word, and then be given the wisdom to know how to use it to communicate to others when we run into opinions that differ from Yours. So, Father, we pray that uh, Your hand will be upon us, the Holy Spirit will guide us, and that we'll be able to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we ask it in His name amen well in verse one it says come now you rich this is a command actually and there's a lot of commands in the book of James about 60 of them in five little five chapters come now you rich weep howling for the miseries that are coming on you so in typical fashion uh, hebraic fashion what it does is kind of tell you a uh, bottom line then explains why this is found there that's Typical Hebrew uh, thought processes. Uh, We Greeks, we we give all the reasons and then a conclusion. The Jews give the conclusion and then give all the reasons. And so we're looking at the reasons for the rich to come come and pay attention. In verse 2 it says, Your riches (coughs) have rotted and your garments have become moth-eaten. Now this is a, a picture of a loss of wealth. Uh, Losing value, losing their possessions, and last week, in conjunction with Thanksgiving, we took a look at what real spiritual wealth entails, and we saw different points there about what is, you know, the fact we're saved is spiritual wealth beyond anything that we can even imagine. But verse 3 as I mentioned I read ahead so that's the way you have to do with all of these things to get it in a context don't just start with the first verse and analyze it read it several times and then you get a better contextual flow and he says your he's talking about these rich your gold and your silver have rusted <clears throat> now rusted is an interesting word the the word is a perfect Passive indicative of the word katiao. It's only used once. Now, the word I, io, I-A-O, actually, that uh, it's a short o and an omega that's in there. By the way, the new virus is not the Omicron virus. It's the Omicron virus. Whenever they, if you hear somebody saying, saying that, just so you'll have proper pronunciation of this new virus. It comes from the, the Greek alphabet, the omega is the long O, and the omicron is the short O in the Greek alphabet. And it says that, and that's a word that means to poison. That's what, it's at its root. And it's a perfect tense, so it says it's lasting results. It's not looking at a point of time per se, but it's looking at a point in time with completed results that continue to go on. So it says, your gold and your silver, it's a perfect passive, have been poisoned. It happened from an outside source. Now, had it been a, a middle voice or something like that it poisoned themselves, this is a passive. They have been poisoned and their rust, that's eos, that is the word for uh, poison, used only three times. Interesting places, we'll see in a minute. And their poison will be a witness against you. Who? The rich of the last days is who it's, who it's saying. And will consume. Now these riches of gold and silver is what will do the consumption. Consume is estheo. It it's a normal word for eat. To take in in the mouth and eat and chew up and swallow down. Estheo. Um, and it's a future tent, so it's a pure prophecy we have here. And what are you going to eat? The poison metal is what it says. You will eat your flesh like fire. So whatever happened to the gold and the silver, something happened to it that poisoned it, and it said it's going to consume your flesh like fire. That's what it says. And it says, It is in the last days that you have stored up your treasure. Now see James this is one of those examples where I don't think James fully understood what this was I don't believe he had any concept of radioactivity back then it doesn't make any sense but how are you going to how are you going to poison gold and silver well you can you can hit it with radioactivity turn it into a poisonous substance just like that and then what'll it do consume your flesh that's exactly what it will do so it says it's in the last days that you've stored up your treasure. Aristotle here, point of time, dealing specifically with the last days of the word thesauridzo, And we get Thesaurus from that. You know that nice book that we had back in high school, we've lost and can't find anymore. The, the Thesaurus that is, that is there. The word actually means a treasure. And it's a treasure trove of words is what a Thesaurus means is. We only know it in a limited sense, but it is a treasure trove of words. So this verse states emphatically, two of the most resilient metals are poisoned in such a way it causes them to devour flesh. Now it's very clear what it's saying here, that it causes them to devour flesh. People will try to save it. Now think about that. You have a gold bar. Say you have a gold bar. You always 2.2 2.2 pounds, a kilo of gold. That's that's worth what 70, 80 thousand dollars right now. And if you have several thousand of those, or even have a, a, five of them, okay, and something happens and it gets bombarded with radioactivity, people are going to try and save it. You can guarantee it. It's it's they're going to try to to get it out of there. But it, or if they weren't trying to save it, it wouldn't devour their flesh. If they just left it alone, it wouldn't wouldn't do anything. The poisoning is a witness against the fraudulent rich. Because they can see it, but they can't touch it. It becomes useless. No no longer of of real value. There it is. I guess it's got an intrinsic value, but it's not useful anymore. Because you can't pick it up without dying. Which is, I always look at this and go, this is God's sense of humor. Because he always judges the God's. Of mankind, You know we got that picture of that back in the exodus from Egypt and judging the gods of Egypt. And anytime you put something or someone in front of him, guess what happens? Uh-huh. <clears throat> the tongue is usually the spreader of this poison. Kind of interesting uh, the word selection here. So the judgment indicates that there have been many sins of the tongue. They got to this point. Sins of the tongue including lying... They include fraud. They include slander. There's all kinds of things that are sins of, of the tongue. Romans 3.13, which is a um, quotation out of Psalm 14, the first three verses, says, All have turned to side. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. And the poison... There's our word. Of asp is under their lips. James 3.8. The other place poison is used. No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil. And it's full of deadly poison. So it kind of indicates that these things got poison Because they were using their tongue to acquire it. Now God is real good about judging the objects. Of misplaced faith. This relates to the destruction. Of prophetical Babylon. Now if you would turn there with me. To Revelation. The 18th chapter. And verses 15 to 24. Now. <clears throat> it's interesting that when you start working. Looking for word connections. In scripture sometimes you don't find the word connection. But you find the concept connection. And if you go to Revelation 18 with me, and then we go in verse 15, okay, and this is a lament for Babylon, prophetical Babylon. It's talked about all the different uh, uh, goods and services and things that have been brought in on ships. And verse 15 says, The merchants of these things, he became rich from her will stand at a distance because of the fear of her torment, weeping and mourning. Now see, the destruction on prophetical Babylon is of such a nature, nobody walks through it again. Now, this is what's revealed to us prophetically, and so you have to ask, if they'd have just burned it down, they'd have been walking through it a little bit later, right? If they'd have just overrun it, they would have been able to walk through it. We see forest fires now as part of our our norm anymore. And what happened? People walk through it after it gets done burning. But what this says, they're not going to be walking through it again. And it repeats that fact multiple times about prophetical Babylon. Never again will it be passed through. Which, by the way, is one of the proofs that this prophetical Babylon is not historical Babylon rebuilt. Why? Why? Because historical Babylon is passed through in the Millennial Kingdom. It is inhabited by the Assyrians. That's the same area between the Tigris-Euphrates. The Assyrian Empire is going to be a great nation in the Millennial Kingdom. Interestingly enough, you can track it. It's not hard to to track. In verse 16 it says, Woe, woe, the great city! She was clothed in fine linen, purple, scarlet, adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. For in one hour, such great wealth has been laid waste. This phrase, one hour, is repeated multiple times. And it's, is it one hour like a long period of time? Or is it a 60-minute time frame? Or what is it? And what you find with its repetition and its usage in Revelation, it's a 60-minute time frame. Whatever happens to this thing is, is quick, and it's complete. And it says, And every shipmaster, every passenger and sailor, and as many as make their living by the sea, stood at a distance. Now I'm looking at this and going, can't be historical Babylon again. Why? Because historical Babylon was situated on a river. A river ran through historical Babylon. It was not surrounded by waters. Jeremiah 50 and 51 further confirms that. This prophetical Babylon is surrounded by water. So it is not historical Babylon. And it says, <clears throat> And were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, What city is like the great city? Now it's interesting, how do you... the Euphrates River where Babylon is situated right now is is hardly ever over a quarter of a mile wide. How are they going to stand at a distance? With a quarter of a mile, that's nothing in in today's thing. How are you going to get ships lined up outside there? Kind of looks like the west coast right now, doesn't it? Ships sitting off port. Can't unload their, unload their wares. That, by the way, is not the fulfillment of this prophecy. But what it is telling us is that it can very easily happen. They don't have anywhere to unload. Those people have places to unload if they just unload them. But they, they don't have any places to unload. And it says, "...and they were crying out as they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, "'What city's like the great city?' And they threw dust on their heads and were crying out, weeping and mourning, saying, "Woe, woe, the great city, in which all who had ships at sea became rich by her, her wealth, for in one hour she has been laid waste." Now, one thing about the U.S. of A. Every nation on the planet's plugged in, to Uncle Sugar. That's just the way it is. And when they can't unload their their wares, when they can't get them, what what are they going to do? Those things are useless and worthless. And it says, Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you saints and apostles and prophets, because God has pronounced judgment for you against her. And a strong angel took up a stone like a great millstone, threw it into the sea, saying, Thus will Babylon, the great city be thrown down with violence, and will not be found any longer. See, this is a total, complete destruction. And the sound of harpists and musicians and flute players and trumpeters will not be heard in you any longer. And no craftsman of any craft will be found in you any longer. And the sound of a mill will not be heard in you any longer. And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer." And the voice of the bridegroom and the bride will not be heard in you any longer. And your merchants were the great men of the earth. What connected us to James 5? Your merchants were the great men of the earth. Because all the nations were deceived by your... You see that word sorcery? That's the word pharmacia. We had pharmacy out of it. By your drug abuse... See, drugs come in a lot of different forms. People, places, things, and events can all be drugs. It's exactly what they can be. But we look at this, and then you start thinking about Big Pharma uh, going on right here and everything that they're doing. I I know doctors say they, they make up ailments so they can sell you medicine to treat something that your body can take care of all by itself. That's what they do. And ha- are they wealthy? Do they control things? It looks like they're pulling the puppet strings on a lot of people right now, and we're just getting a taste taste of it. Who is the big supplier of all these things as far as R&D goes? That's us. Then what happens? They farm it out to the cheapest cheapest bidder. Kind of, uh, anyway. Farm it out to the cheapest bidder, and I, I, I cannot escape... Steve Buscemi's line in the movie Armageddon. Some of you may have seen it where they go to destroy an asteroid. And here's Willis and Affleck and all them and they drill this this hole through this asteroid and all that stuff and Buscemi's sitting there getting ready to be blasted off toward this asteroid and he goes, all this power given to the low bidder. (laughs) And I thought, her statements never made. <laughs> I mean, right there. Oh gosh. It says, and her was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. And uh, this is this is where revenge is mine; I will repay, says the Lord. And you think about what started happening in the 1800's when we sent out missionaries and all that and then look at what happened in the 1900's. In the 1900's, this nation started to turn away from God. They didn't send out as many missionaries or support as many missionaries. And you know what the United States could do with all the power it has had in the past? It could have stopped it. It could have stopped Russia at the end of World War II and chose not to Instead, it turned over the Polish people to a slaughter. I mean, over and over and over again, you see mistakes that were made. Yeah, the United States, in a lot of ways, the greatest nation God ever made. In fact, Jeremiah says it's a golden cup in the hand of the Lord. That's the way it describes it. God made it for greatness. It became great in a lot of ways, but then it turned from Him. And He says, I'm not going to let this go. And he, he does not. We, it, it, we could have stopped it. The destruction of prophetical Babylon. Now, first promise greed will be judged. That not on there again. At least they're becoming easier to find. (laughs) Greed will be judged. You can count on it. That's what he's telling us right here in these promises. So where greed exists, God will take care of it. There's all kinds of ways that he can do it. He can take it away instantly like he does with prophetical Babylon here. And so when we see this in the last days and what these super rich merchants have done, It'll be, it'll be uh, judged. The uh, <clears throat> second promise is that the object of greed will be the agent of judgment to the subject. Their greed dealt with gold and silver. Now, obviously, they didn't have paper money, Federal Reserve notes and rupees and dinars and all those other things that go along with it back then. But what they had was gold and silver. That was the, the coin of the day. That was what they did. And he says, alright, you're going to worship money? It'll be judged. And he is going to take it out. Now that, that's the second promise that we find in this verse. Now, <clears throat> in verse 4, it says, Behold, this is another one of those commands. It's actually the 43rd one found in the book of James so far. Behold, I love the word, it's horao, which means to look at. Look at, take a good look at it. Blepo means take a glance at it. Harao means stop and look at it. And it is an imperative, erist imperative of Harao, and it's a command. Pay attention. Pay attention to what he's saying, because the pay <clears throat> and this is the word misthos. It's a word for wages. It means or pay that which was earned and that which is due. Okay. So it wasn't like it was something that was promised to be given away. These people earned this money and it was due to them. The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields. Now this is usually reserved for the, some of the lowest paid workers in all the history of the world. That is, this is usually what it is talking about. And he's saying that these super rich of the last days abused those who were paid the least and often needed it the most. That's what they did. Have we ever seen that in the history of the world? You know, one of the great wonders of the world, the Taj Mahal. Taj Mahal in Agra, India, was built with 20,000 slaves. They brought them in, it was a Muslim... Uh, from Muhammad, whenever he decided to do it, he wanted a place better than the Temple of Solomon. And he he employed 20,000, or he enslaved 20,000 people to build the Taj Mahal that's there. So it's gone on all over the world. And how much did he pay them? Just enough to keep them alive. That's it. The pay of the laborers who mowed your fields, and which has been withheld by you, Ah, uh, affusterreō is the word used. It's a perfect passive participle, and it's a word that means to take away, with the nuance of defrauding. Okay, it was owed them, which just tells us the pay, the misthos, the wage, that which was due. You defrauded them, You defrauded them. And he says it cries out against you. Super rich of the last days. So when we see people, when we see the super rich getting richer because they're defrauding people along the way, well, we don't have the power to do that, but God is not it's not going unnoticed. One of these days he's going to take care of it. And it says and the outcry of those who did the harvesting has reached the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. Uh, oh man, you think that rings some bells for the Jews? Lord of Sabbath, <laughs> Lord Shabbat, Lord of the Sabbath. You know what that means? The God of the armies. Yeah, Sabaoth, the Lord of the armies. He's reached the ears. So that's not really the guy you want to get mad at you. And some of those, some of those people actually think they have taken his place. They somehow think that if we can just talk down enough about him, if we can get him out of the collective consciousness of mankind, we can do away with God. Might seem like it. Might seem like you're winning. But it's not going unnoticed. The reason for the destruction is clearly stated. Like it has been in the past. Why is he going to take it out? He's going to take out the headquarters of the super rich, is what he's talking about. And where would you say that is when it talks about a city? I think you could probably look at New York City quite easily. I heard this actually taught when I was a kid, 10, 11 years old, back in, a, in a, the church I was attending. I remember maybe two messages or three messages uh, out of that whole time of growing up. Because all I, I had a girlfriend there, and that's all I cared about. And you know, you know how things go when you're a kid. Other things on your mind. And so, and I actually heard this. My mom and grandma decided, well, we're gonna take, we're gonna go this revival. And this guy was preaching about prophetical Babylon being New York City. Yeah, there was a book out about that a long time ago. And I remember him talking about prophetical Babylon being New York City, and then as I got you know, got older, started to read, started to study, I, it keeps saying city, it keeps saying city. Well, it's much like if we talk about Washington, D.C., we talk about the, the capital of a nation. Okay, so it's the same type of figure of speech that is there, because it calls it a nation. It says it's a nation multiple times that it, that it is talking about. But then it talks about this city. This city. This city has been laid waste. But it's not just the city. It's the whole nation that you can't walk through. Not not just the city. But when you look at the city, what is the financial capital of the world? New York City. What is this? Economic Babylon. What's it about? Unbridled greed of the last days. That's what it is. It appears that... Things are manipulated. You don't have to be a conspiracy theorist to figure that out. Things get manipulated, up, you know, up and down, and insider trading, and outsider trading, and all those other other things that go on. But the reason for this destruction is clearly stated. You cheated the people. You shouldn't have cheated. Has that ever been done before? Genesis six. Verse 11, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God. The earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. And God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, and the earth is filled with violence because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them from the earth. Isn't that going on now? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And I see people read that and they go, oh gosh, the Nephilim are invading the human race once again. And they are messing with the genetics and changing the DNA and doing all these kind of things. And I'm going, no, there are other more obvious things. The earth is being corrupt. It is being filled with violence. There is no righteousness. Wickedness is rampant. Truth is trampled in the streets. You look at all the spiritual reasons and you go, yeah, as it was in the days of Noah. Genesis 18. Then the men rose up from there. Now that was quite a dinner. That was Abraham with the Lord and two angels. We know that. Genesis 18, they're getting ready to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And they stop by to say hello to Abraham. And it says, And they looked toward Sodom. And Abraham was walking with them to send them off. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay. Isn't he a friend? Shouldn't I tell him what's going on? He's asking the angels that. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. And the Lord said, The outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great. And their sin is exceedingly grave. I will go down now and see if they've done entirely according to its outcry. Which has come to me and if not, I will know. This is when Abraham negotiates. Brilliant passage. And he's got his nephew Lot down there who's anything but righteous. He's righteous in that he is a believer in Jehovah. That imputed righteousness to him. That's all you can say about him, because 2 Peter says, righteous lot, his soul tormented day after day by what was going on in this in this town. So here is Sodom and Gomorrah, and that if you study the prophetical Babylon, it's compared to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay? Wiped out. Never to be there again. Never to be useful, functioning again. <clears throat> And that's what the Lord does. Did he, did he tell the Northern Kingdom why He was going to, to discipline them? Did He tell the Southern Kingdom why He's going to discipline them? Did He tell the Jews about 70 A.D. before it happened? He told them all, did He not? Well, now He's telling us about the last days. One of the biggest problems of the last days is not treating workers with respect. They violated an important commandment. There's a clear violation of the royal law. Now I know we're not living under the law, but when it happens, when's this going to, when's this destruction going to take place? Age of Israel, right? Tribulation, last seven years of the age of Israel. They go back under the Mosaic law. Okay. So the passage says, you shall not oppress a hired servant who is poor and needy. Whether he is one of your countrymen or one of your aliens who is in your land and your towns. You shall give him his wages on his day before the sun sets. For he is poor and sets his heart on it. So that he will not cry out against you to the Lord and it become sin in you. So when this thing extends on into the tribulation period, yeah, there he is. They come under the same judgment and discipline that is is set up and established in the law. The Lord one time included fraud with some of the Ten Commandments. Interesting place these words are found because we know that fraud is not one of the Ten Commandments. But the Lord added it in in Mark chapter 10. Okay, and Mark 10 verse 17 he was setting out on a journey and a man ran up to him and knelt before him and asked him good teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life you guys remember that story right <clears throat> and Jesus said to him why do you call me good good teacher see no one is good except God alone hmm You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. That's not one of the ten. (laughs) But it got put in there, didn't it? This was the rich young ruler. Do you think maybe he had defrauded? Honor your father and your mother... And he said to him, teacher, I've kept all these things from my youth up. Looking at him, Jesus felt a love for him and he said to him. Now look at this, he felt a love for him and he said to him. He didn't say, you stupid idiot, get out of my sight. (laughs) Okay? He said, one thing you lack. Go and sell all you possess and give it to the poor. And you'll have treasure in heaven. And come follow me. But at these words he was saddened. And he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Where was his true love? Money. And the Lord knew that and he saw it and he said, You need to you need to become poor. You need to become poor. It wasn't a command for everybody and all that, but he said he knew him and he knew that man. Needed to divest himself of all these things. Well, will uh, will we see this guy in eternity? Well, uh, what what happened in 70 A.D.? About 30, 40 years after that. If the guy lived till then, all his stuff was taken. I wonder if he might have found the Lord then. Just a thought. You know, I'd speculate on things from time to time, going, ask, What what about all this? Well, it could have been the case. But as he left it, he wasn't saved then. He could have been. Even if fraud is permitted by the laws of the land, because in some places, it, you, they might have a law against it, but nobody enforces it. Okay, Myanmar was one of those places. A, a, a classic kleptocracy. Anything they could steal and not get caught, it was just fine. And if they shared it with the cops, nobody was going to say anything. That's just that's the way it worked. But it's not permitted by the laws of God. We're not permitted to defraud our neighbor. It is viewed clearly as sin. The same type of outcry was heard by the Lord that led to the exodus from Egypt. In Exodus 1, what was happening? The taskmasters were telling them, you, you make these bricks and we're going to take some straw away from you so you can't make the bricks very well. And it was kind of like, you know what we're going to do? We're going to regulate you. We're going to regulate you so you can't comply. Much like some of the supply chain issues. All you got to do is think about it a second. All you got to do is add all these regulations to all these things going on out there so the trucks can't even pick up the stuff because there's too many regulations on on the California coast to get them to the coast so the truckers can load their stuff and take it to the rest of the country. What's the holdup? Regulations that's in place. What do you do? you got to ease the supply chain worries. Don't make us a, a group to study it. <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> It's not hard. Just turn them loose, let them do it. Those independent truckers will get those ships unloaded for you can say, "Lizzo Billy," for a bunch of real old people from Oklahoma. <clears throat> this defrauding intent can be present in believers. Uh, boy, don't you hate to see that? Even believers can slip into this issue of fraud. 1 Timothy, Timothy 6, is verse 3 is, tells us that sound doctrine is built on the words of Jesus Christ. And then it goes on leading up to verse 10, which the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But verse 5, he says there's constant friction between men of depraved mind and deprived of the truth. The word depraved is our defraud word. Constant friction between people that want to defraud other people. That's where we get depraved from. And deprived of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Ah. But it's actually a means of great gain when it's accompanied with contentment, if you read on in the passage. 1 Corinthians 6 says Actually, then, it's already a defeat for you that you have lawsuits with one another. See, this is the, the highly spiritual Corinthian church. And they're suing each other in secular courts. And Paul's writing and saying, It's already a defeat for you. you have lawsuits with one another. Why not rather be judged? Why not rather be defrauded? He says, On the contrary, you yourselves wrong and defraud. You do this even to your brethren has not to be the mindset of a Christian. We should deal in honor. We were talking about earlier, Ron and I, th- about honor and character that was taught by people and taught us as we were growing up. I mean when we when I was part of the Boy Scouts a long time ago in a galaxy far away, we were we were that's what we were taught. Trustworthy Loyal, helpful, friendly, courteous, kind, obedient, cheerful, thrifty, brave, clean, and reverent. And you learn those 12 parts and you learn be prepared. And you learn some very basic things and that honor was so important. And that's what was taught and drilled into us as kids. Now it's easy to get away in a rebellious teenage year, but you train up a child according to his way and when he's old he's going to come back to it. And then you start getting out into the real world. We've had we had some good conversations around the dinner table, um, Thanksgiving, and and since about uh, what what makes a liberal a liberal a conservative a conservative, and it's kind of amazing that it's it's kind of hard to figure out. But sometimes uh, one group doesn't even want to listen to the other group, and one group thinks they know what the other one thinks, and they don't know what the other person thinks. And so you have some. Uh, conversations that won't ever go anywhere because nobody will sit down long enough to just talk and visit and ask questions. And this can, these things are, are such that we, we have to engage people in conversation and we have to uh, uh, try to figure out where they're coming from along the way. But fraud, see, to some people there's no such thing as sin. So if you don't believe there's any such thing as sin, and you don't believe there's a God, why do you care? Why would you care? You might find it's the best way of coping. And so you treat people with honor and respect because it's the easiest way to cope. It's not a part of your character and your moral fiber that says it. It's just, I can get along better if I'm honorable to this person instead of it being who I am. <clears throat> the uh, the uh, wise man swears to his own hurt you keep your word this is what it's we're called to do intimacy between husband and wife should not be withheld for as long as physically able 1 Corinthians chapter 7 interesting place the word defraud is used because it tells us it says concerning the things about which you wrote it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of the immoralities, each man is to have his own wife and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. Now hopefully it's, it's loving, but it calls it here a, a duty. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise, also the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop defrauding one another. That's what it's. That's the word defraud. Stop defrauding one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. So as long as a married couple is able to get together sexually, they should do that, is what he's saying. And he says... <coughs> If you're going to take a break, take a break for opportunity for prayer. And come together again so Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this by way of concession, not of command. So he's not making laws here. He's saying, though, that a husband and wife should be intimate as long as they are physically able to do that. Now... That's a topic for Sunday morning. Every Sunday morning we're going to talk about such things as that. You can sure draw classes. Can we figure out what kind of sign we can put out on the front to uh, bring people in? Sex in the city from a biblical viewpoint. (laughs) Anyway, fraud does not escape the notice of the lawgiver and judge who will take the appropriate action at the right time. Okay, Just because people do it and get away with it doesn't mean it's unseen. James 4.12 There's one lawgiver and judge. The one who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? We are not the lawgiver. We are not the ultimate judge. But who are, who are we? It doesn't escape his notice. One day it's going to be time for the harvest. Turn to Revelation 14 with me if you would. One day it's going to be time for him to harvest. I love this passage in the book of Revelation. You start off in the first few verses in Revelation, you got the three angels of the tribulation that come through. first one says... Gives the gospel to the entire world, the eternal gospel, it says. Second one says, Get out of Babylon. And the third one says, Do not take the mark of the beast. Okay, so you have three angels that come through during the tribulation, the whole world hears them. Then you have the 144,000 that all get gathered back together. Chapter 7 is a picture of the calling of the 144,000. 14 is a picture of the fact they've all survived and they end up on the Mount of Olives when it's time for the second advent. Now, at the last part of chapter 14, there are two harvests. Let's follow what it says. We're going to let it teach us. It says, Then I looked and behold a white cloud. How's Jesus going to come back? On the clouds, okay? And sitting on the cloud was one like a son of man. Oh, that's what he's calling Daniel 7. Having a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, crying out with a loud voice to him who sat on the cloud. Put in your sickle and reap. For the hour to reap has come, because the harvest of the earth is ripe. Then he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle over the earth and the earth was reaped. You see that word over? That's so important. He takes this sickle and he goes over the earth and the earth was reaped. And another angel came out of the temple which is in heaven and he also had a sharp sickle. And another angel who has the power over fire came out from the altar and he called out with a loud voice to him had the sharp sickle saying, What's the power of fire all about? Judgment. It's another reaping. See? Put in your sharp sickle. Gather the clusters from the vine of the earth because the grapes are ripe. Mm. The vine of the earth. Could that possibly be Israel? They are ready. The time is complete. What a hmm. so the angel swung his sickle to the earth. Literally, it says into the earth and gathered the clusters from the vine of the earth and he threw them into the great wine press of the wrath of God. When is this? Just keep reading Revelation chapter 16. What he end up with? The destruction of the kings of the east. The great winepress of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city and blood came up from the winepress up to the horse's bridles for a distance of 200 miles. Hmm. Interesting. Where does the 200 miles come from when you hear about blood to the horse's bridles for 200 miles? Look at these two, two reapings. One, the sickle goes over the earth and it says, and the earth was reaped. That's the rapture. Pulling out the righteous and leaving the wicked. What's the second one? Into the earth. The fire angel is the one that called him. To come. It's time for judgment. And the earth was reaped. That's the second advent. Amazing picture here found. Tucked away right in the the middle almost of this book. Of the two reapings that are are found. So... Whenever we're looking at this, the points we want to get is realize the principle that defrauding workers is especially abhorrent to God. Especially abhorrent to God. When people are misusing people and abusing people, whenever they're enslaving them to do things and then not paying them what they should be paying them, when that happens, that is especially abhorrent to God. And is any of that going on? We have people that have the, the, great, the great rich people of the earth. That have all this money. And what are they doing? They're making tennis shoes in China with Uyghur Muslims. Okay, And they don't like the Uyghurs. They want to use them up and destroy them. That's what they want to do. So what happens? One of our companies here. Actually more than one of our companies. Make tennis shoes over there. And sell them over here for $100 a piece or more. and athletes make all kinds of money off doing such things. these rich people of the earth abusing the workers. it's not the way it's ever been designed to be and it is not going unnoticed even though they are Muslims. They're not saved by grace through faith, they're not saved even though they are Muslims, you don't the, the love for one another, the love of your your neighbor as yourself that violates all of those things and god will hold accountable he'll hold unbelievers accountable for their evil done toward other unbelievers that's what they do and then you get the you get people that are just cheating i mean that's just cheating is is all that it is it uh, defrauds a whole lot of people defrauds american workers defrauds all kinds of things When you look at it. But defrauding workers is especially abhorrent to God. So as all these rich keep getting richer. Okay. Is it legitimate? If it is, it's fine. God doesn't condemn legitimate acquisition of wealth. Go to the ant, oh lazy person, and learn from its ways. He does not condemn legitimate acquisition of wealth at all. In fact, that's what he uses to help to help uh, bless and guide the ministry of spreading the gospel. That's what, that's what he does. But the fraudulent collection of wealth due to greed in the soul, he keeps track of that. Her sins, <laughs> Revelation 18, her sins piled up and reached to the heavens. Whoa, sounds a whole lot like Sodom and Gomorrah. Their sins piled up and reached to the heavens. And the Lord knows when you're being cheated. you mean cheated in your work? Now, you know, usually a lot of us go, well, I'm not being paid enough. You're probably not. <laughs> okay. But sometimes it's just us. Okay. But if we make agreements, that's part of contractual obligations, you make an agreement, I'm going to work for this amount of money, then we do our job hardly as unto the Lord. If it comes time to renegotiate, you renegotiate. That's what you do. But you don't don't, uh, soft-pedal because you think you're worth more. Because I, I see it all as a matter of the grace of God. I've had a lot of jobs, like I'm sure a lot of you have, that are anything but really fine and dandy. Uh, over the years yeah had a lot of those things and uh, got my hands dirty you know and it all did did a little bit of good because it helped realize you know one of the things my dad used to say fair days pay for a fair day's work wasn't anything wrong with that statement at all it should be fair when it gets greedy on either side there's a problem there's a problem well, we've got things to pay attention to this coming week. We have things to keep our focus on. Determine that we're going to try to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to try to do those things, and and hopefully, uh, the trumpet will sound before too much longer. I'm looking forward to it, even if we had to miss the shopping season. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We cannot thank you enough. We look into the mirror of your word and we find out how unworthy we are of anything. And yet, Father, whenever we believed in your Son and gave us his righteousness, Father, we became worthy not because of what we did, but because of what he did. And what a blessing that that is to know that the righteousness you gave to us by grace through faith is what lets us spend eternity with you. So Father, that is such a wonderful message. I pray you give us wisdom and opportunity to know how to spread that message to a lost and dying world. For we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.